Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So let me just confess that um, I didn't even know the World Series had started. I am I I just don't even know. I didn't know the World Series had started. I'm really kind of confused about what's happening in sports right now. But turning to the sports page because you know we're seeking to explore all the headlines of the day. Um, it seemed important to at least lift up the fact that in the midst of everything else that's going on in the world, the Los Angeles Dodgers are playing the Tampa Bay Rays in World Series 2020. Paul, did you already know that? I heard about it, and it's like, <laughs> and it's kind of crazy because the Tampa Bay Rays, they they have a bunch of inexpensive <laughs> players, and there's a couple of people on the Dodgers hey. team that their salary eclipses everything they're paying all their players on the Rays. It's crazy. I, it, it is. It's crazy. Okay, so obviously just, you know, well, so the, uh, the L.A. Dodgers did win last night. Apparently... Oh, yeah. The big news story is this. Something happened last night that has only happened one other time in all of baseball history. It happened in 1921. A player named George Herman Ruth, better known as Babe, drew a walk and then stole two bases in the fifth inning of a World Series game in 1921. Okay. Fast forward to 2020. Uh, Last night, a guy named Marcus Lynn Betts, better known as Mookie, I, I hope I gosh I hope That's I'm right. pronouncing yeah. that right. Mookie drew a walk and stole two bases in the fifth inning of a World Series game. Took it's, more than 99 years. Uh, yeah, I mean I don't even know how many games we'd have to count them all up. Uh, but nobody has managed the same feat in a World Series game since the Babe back in 1921. So that is my news headline today, um, and I have no biblical Christ connection to make there. I don't know if there is one, don't, but don't it's interesting. Hats off to Mookie. I think that this just hats off to Mookie, right? Okay. Yeah. So um, we have uh, Bill English, as always, waiting in the wings. Um, here's my here's my setup for my conversation with Bill. Um, it's, so most people like to give advice. <laughs> I mean, no doubt, right? Most people like to give advice. Um some people like to receive advice, but we definitely don't like to receive advice that is contrary to whatever our operating narrative is of the day. But lots of times the book of Proverbs um, connects receiving advice with the process of becoming wise. It also connects rejecting advice with being foolish. So when we come back, we're going to talk with Bill from Bible and Business about what Proverbs has to say about receiving advice and becoming wise. We'll be right back. (music) 
Bill English is in the house, BibleandBusiness.com. Bill, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. People like to give advice. People don't always like to receive advice. That's uh, true. S- Solomon, King Solomon. I have a friend named Solomon, so this is not about you, who might be listening right now, Solomon. But Solomon in the Bible connected the act of receiving advice with becoming or being wise. Talk about some of those passages from Proverbs. Yeah, in no particular order, Proverbs twelve fifteen: the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Uh, Proverbs 14, chapter 14, verses 15 and 16, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. So Proverbs teaches, as, as you know, Carmen, Proverbs teaches a lot through contrast. Here's what, uh, in, in this case, here's what a fool looks like, and here's what a wise man looks like. Um, Proverbs 13.10, where there is strife, there is pride, right? But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction. Why would you do that? So that you may gain wisdom in the future. And then Proverbs uh, 13.20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. In other words, they're going to listen to other wise people and they themselves will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So we see an explicit connection here that is made between taking advice and being wise. And yet, and this, is, this comes from a chapter that I'm writing for my book about business owners having trusted advisors. Uh, yet I find that many Christians who own businesses or a number of Christians who lead ministries are really loath to take advice from anyone. They, they kind of get filled with pride and they feel like uh, they don't need advice. It, which is surprising. I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised by that. I mean, everybody who is in a position of leadership recognizes that leadership has um, a, a wide o- array of challenges, and none of us are experts in everything. And so um, we should have counselors. We should have advisors who, you know, it might be a small cabinet of people, um, right? It might be, you know, even people that would fit around your kitchen table, um, you ought to have at least a kitchen cabinet. Um, but I mean, a group of people who really are your trusted advisors, and they ought to be people who have an expertise in the things that maybe we don't have an expertise in. And so it, there's a there's a body theology that goes on here that not every part of the body can be the eye or the mouth or the hand or the elbow. Like, right, we need all the parts to function properly. So there is... Um, uh, there is a biblical witness here throughout the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. I mean, neither Bill nor I are suggesting that what we're doing here is an exhaustive examination of all of the wisdom literature of the of the Bible. What we are saying is the Bible has a lot to say about cultivating wisdom by actually listening to the advice of people who know more about something than we do. Um, so uh, in your own experience, Bill, like why— why do people not take advice? Why are we so resistant to taking advice from others? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think it's ego. I think it's pride. It keeps them from asking for help, even though help is available. It keeps them from accepting advice, even though advice is available. Look, I, I now mind you, I'm coming out of 15 years in the in the in the technology industry, and then probably a good five years now working directly with business owners. I have found. Uh, and I, by the way, and I will 
I will say that I have not worked with ministry leaders all that much. So what I'm about to say may not be true of ministry leaders. It's probably only worse. Okay. (laughs) Go ahead. So uh, crazy smart, highly talented people in a given technical area, whether they're software developers, whether they're great at at building network infrastructures for computers, maybe they're great at at taking metal and crafting it into something beautiful. When they are really smart and talented in a technical area, they tend to think that they're as equally smart and talented in other areas, such as human resources or finances or running a business or growing a business, those kinds of things. And the mistake that we make is to say, because I'm really talented in this one area, I must be talented in all areas. It's an easy bridge to cross, but it's a false bridge to cross. And it's our ego that that gets in the way that keeps us from asking uh, for advice or for accepting advice when it does come our way. I think another reason, by the way, Carmen, is uh, a a lot of, at least in the business world, a lot of business owners see this as a sign of weakness. There's this uh, kind of fake it till you make it mentality uh, that leads business owners, and I think sometimes ministry leaders, to keep up appearances when their ministry or their business is not doing well. And in, in, in the long run, they further harm themselves. They further harm their business. They further harm their ministry because they're not willing to humble themselves and ask for advice. All right, Bill English and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I am going to, um, I'm going to ask him to survey some of the passages uh, in Scripture where asking for help is actually identified as a sign of strength. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I see you dressed in All right, we're talking about wisdom and foolishness. We're talking about listening to the counsel of others and to whose counsel we listen. We're talking about guilt by association. Like, right, if you wander around with the wise, uh, you might actually become wise. If you wander around with fools, well, that's catching too. I am talking with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com, and I am teeing up a question for him, um, So, which grows out of a conversation about our failure to ask for help or our resistance to asking for help. Um, and sometimes we think that that's a sign of strength, but it's actually a sign of weakness. So, Bill, what's the Bible have to say about all of that? Yeah, if we don't ask for help, uh, that's actually a sign of weakness. And and the Bible, uh, at least in Proverbs, uh, associates not asking for help, not accepting advice as being foolish. So here's here's a few verses for that. Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, right? Um, uh, Proverbs 8-5, oh simple ones, learn prudence. Oh fools, learn sense. Um, Proverbs 13-16, every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. And Proverbs uh, fifteen five, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent or wise. In other words, uh, so there is there is a connection that is made in in Proverbs between people not accepting advice, proper advice, and being foolish, or if you accept advice, you're becoming wise, and and uh, and I think by extension, uh, you're becoming godly. 
I think there's also a discernment that's necessary in the midst of all of this. And you and I, um, we've talked about discernment before, but um, just because I am maybe listening to the counsel of someone who is uber successful does not necessarily mean I'm listening to the counsel of someone who is wise, um, because worldly success is not always, uh, you know, a, a perfect barometer of wisdom. And so maybe um, we could circle around to a conversation about how do we know, how do we sort through all of those people who might want to give us advice? Um, uh, I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe you don't get just like constant um, pitches for people who, you know, want to be your advisor in some area of your life or another. But how how do you actually choose a wise advisor? How do you discern that? So the discernment in choosing who we, uh, whose counsel we take, I think is important. And um, maybe the first rule of that should be, you know, when I look at their life, is it a life that is aligned with the character of God? I mean, is this a person who um, knows the truth and speaks the truth and, you know, is therefore trustworthy and on and on and on. Maybe we can look at those character qualities another time. Um, are there some... Um, are there some cautions here? Well, yeah, first of all, uh, and, and you brought up really the first one very, very well. Who our advisors are is important. Just because somebody comes up maybe at church uh, uh, after the service and says, hey, you know, you really ought to do this or you ought to think about doing that. They're, you know, they're giving you advice. But uh, you are right in that you need to look at their life first and see, you know, have they been there, done that? Is it coming out of experience? Is this somebody that I would normally choose to give me advice? Uh, so you need to, uh, take that advice. And what I, what I, uh, when people do that and they don't do it often with me, um, but when they do do that, my response is to say, look, I will take that to prayer. And if God leads me to follow your advice, I will do it because ultimately, Mm -hmm. ultimately God holds you and I accountable for our actions. It's not enough for us to say, well, you know, well, Jimmy, or yeah, Bob told me to do it. You know, that ain't going to pass muster with God, right? So, That's pretty much what, didn't Didn't both Adam and Eve try that? <laughs> didn't work out so well for but, them, did it? <laughs> yeah, we call it blame shifting. But yeah, I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's pointing at the advisor and saying, well, I took their advice. I did what they told me to do. And God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's more personal than that. Yeah, it is more personal than that. And so and that that goes back to a basic principle in scripture that we are responsible for our words and our actions or our silence and inaction. Right? So sins of omission and sins of commission. So uh it just seems to me that that you take their advice and you say I'll I'll take it to prayer and if God leads me I will follow your advice. Uh so that's that's really the first caution. Second caution is not all advice should be followed. Uh, you know, some advice is bad advice, and we have plenty of examples of that in the Old Testament where bad advice was given. I'm thinking of Ahab in First Kings 22, where, you know, um, uh, the spirit went out and put in, in the mouths of all the prophets lying spirits. Ahab follows the bad advice, and he gets killed in battle through a random arrow, right? So uh, not all advice should be followed. We need to have those cautions in our, in our heads. Um, all right, I'm just making myself a little note there about blame shifting. I think that's uh, it just, yeah, important. So thank you for offering that up. Um, let's talk for a moment to those who are the givers of advice. Um, some people more um, do this actually like professionally, like they are professionally, like advisor is actually on their business card somewhere. But a lot of people give advice. In fact, 
all of us at some level give advice all the time. Um, uh, my opinion uh, on the matters of the day, my opinion is not aligned with godly wisdom in terms of advice. Yes, no? It could be. It could mm-hmm. be. But I think I think people need to remember that just because they have an opinion doesn't mean that they should be giving advice. <laughs> advice is <laughs> – advice, you know, sometimes your opinion isn't needed. Um, advice is not an opinion. An opinion is not advice. So good advice really combines several elements here. First of all, it combines experience, insight, kind of a been there, done that, right? I've been where you are. I can give advice. Uh, plus, it's thoughtful. It's not just randomized. Uh, you, the, the advice giver has thought it through. And I think godly advice is, you know, like, like James says, it comes from heaven. It's full of encouragement. It's given at the right time with a right attitude, uh, with a suggested course of action. And there is no conflict of interest or hidden agenda in that advice. Uh, really godly advice combines all those elements. So for those who are just want to hear that again, it's experience plus thoughtfulness plus encouragement plus right timing, right attitude, a suggested course of action with no hidden agenda. To me, that is what constitutes good advice. And an opinion oftentimes doesn't have those elements. So, um, Bill, when we're thinking about advisors and advice or counsel and counselors, um, can we talk about how to discern I mean, you know, we probably have to tee this up for a future conversation, but can we talk about how we go about discerning um, who to whom we should listen? I, I actually think yes. that there's a lot yes. there's a lot of there's a lot of people who um, don't even like give this good thought in terms of pastors under whose instruction they sit. Um, there is a there is a discernment that's necessary today, even in terms of um listening and sitting under uh, certain individuals who claim to be uh, preaching the Word of God but may not. Like, I'm responsible to know the Bible well enough to know whether or not the person who's up there preaching is actually uh, teaching, bringing the Word, actually, you know, serving as a faithful conduit of the Word of God um, into my life and into the lives of those around me. Um, so there is a responsibility here. It's not just about taking the advice of somebody who has a certain pedigree or letters or um, or even experience, right? There is still discernment necessary on the part of the individual. There is. And uh, where I see this more needed, um, expanding what, what you're saying there, um, who do Christians take their advice from for politics, for uh, current events? Those kinds of things. Uh, boy, we, we really need to be careful about who we listen to and who we allow to speak into our lives. Uh, this is, this is a, a worthy conversation, and maybe we can have how do we choose our advisor type of conversation next week. It's, all right, we it's, have, uh, it's, it's, it's really We have important. listeners who are giving me all kinds of counsel now on the sports page, <laughs> because apparently I didn't know that Mookie ever even played for the Red Sox, and at that point in time, he was also actually compared to Babe Ruth. Hey, so you know, you I was like you. I was like you. I didn't even know the World Series started last night because I do not follow Major League <laughs> Baseball at all. 
<laughs> but unfortunately, I am a Vikings fan, and I have been having a horrible season watching the Vikings lose. I'm so sorry. So, I'm so sorry. My I grew up in, Vikings. I grew up in Tampa, and so oh, right now— yeah, and so and and we were, you know, we were Bucks fans when well before there, but I mean, we were there when the Bucks like when Tampa got a an NFL franchise, and so, um, okay. I mean, it was Rowdy's, it was a Rowdy's um, soccer stadium before it was the stadium for the Bucks, and now it's been torn down and rebuilt. But, um, so yeah, I've been like, you know, I have a a Bucks fan heart like beating inside of me somewhere because that was my team when I was a kid, and sure. uh, and so it's it's actually kind of fun now to watch the Buccaneers, and so I think that means I'm sorry for those because didn't they maybe beat the Vikings? I don't know. No, we haven't played the Bucks yet, but oh, I think okay. right now. Right now, I think the second string of the Minnesota Gophers could beat the Vikings, and that's, <laughs> that's really— terrible. Don't say that. You're going to have to take that back. You're going to have to take that back. You're now offending too many people. Okay, you and I oh, have to no, leave I'm it right sorry. there. I'm I, sorry. No, I'm sorry. I know. Yeah, just go ahead. Just apologize profusely. That was Bill English, not me. Not Carmen did not say anything derogatory ever about the Vikings. All right, uh, Bill, thanks so much. You guys can find him at BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. Thank you, Paul, for that uh, take me out to the ball game tease. Apparently, most listeners have moved from baseball to football. Most of my texts are related to football, not baseball. So uh, there you go. Apparently, there are sports fans out there. So I don't know. Hats off to all of you today. You can always text me 877-933-2484. I am paying attention uh, to uh, to the text line. Um, all right, so it's English Hour. Uh, I'm just noting that we are going from Bill English at Bible and Business to JT English. He's a pastor. He is also the author of several books. Today we're going to talk about deep discipleship. Okay, so I make this observation. Deep discipleship implies that there might be shallow discipleship. And so let's just do a little discipleship check uh, for ourselves right now and acknowledge that, you know, we could all be deeper in our discipleship. No question about it. We're going to talk with JT English next about what that might look like. And yes, I have copies of Deep Discipleship to give away. We'll be right back. This is Max Lakato. We'd rather be spared the storm, or if the storm comes, let it be mild and our deliverance be quick. Let the job dismissal come with a severance package and an offer of a better position. Let the marital strife turn quickly to romance. Sometimes it does. But when it doesn't, when we are Florex deep in turbulence, Jesus wants us to know his name and hear him saying, I am coming. Such was the experience of the disciples. The moment they invited Christ into their boat was the moment they reached their destination. So they gladly took him aboard. And at once the boat reached the shore that they were making for it. John chapter 6 and verse 21. Follow the example of the disciples. Welcome Jesus into the midst of this turbulent time. Don't let this storm turn you inward. Let it turn you upward. Remember, my friend, you are never alone. This is Max Lucado. So JT English is uh, maybe most importantly the husband to Macy, the dad to Thomas and Bailey, the shepherd 
to people both um, online and in person. He pastors the Storyline Fellowship. Uh, You may recognize his name as uh, formerly a pastor at the Village Church. You certainly recognize him as an author um, to whom we have turned before. So JT English, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. This is actually English Hour. I didn't even know that, but Bill English was on in the first portion. So we're just going to call this the English Hour. Um, Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I heard that, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just really glad to be here. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful to have you. So the church really, um, maybe the family is the first crucible of discipleship, but the church is certainly the place where people should be spiritually formed, where deep discipleship should be happening. Um, that is, in many of our of our experiences, not the case. So talk about why you wrote Deep Discipleship, to whom it is written, and the problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, that's exactly right. So a huge part of this project for me, and and the reason I'm so passionate about it is because it's part of my own story. So I grew up in Littleton, Colorado, in a fairly secular environment. I didn't know the Lord, didn't go to church very often, and the Lord saved me when I was about 20 years old uh, in college through a nonprofit ministry campus crusade. And then I was largely discipled outside the context of the local church. I finally went to my pastor and asked him, I said, hey, I I really would love to grow. I want to learn how to follow Jesus. I want to learn how to read my Bible. And his answer to me is an answer I'll never forget. He said, if you want to grow as a Christian, you need to go to seminary. And that blew my mind because the local church should be the place where we're learning to become better followers of Jesus. And so I spent the next uh, nine, 10 years or so pursuing different degrees, but the passion of seeing discipleship happen in the context of the local church never left me. In fact, it only grew. And so my last role at the Village Church was really, what would it look like for us to create holistic and deep disciples in the context of the local church? How would we go about doing that, and what would we do? And then that's still my passion now as I pastor here at Storyline Fellowship. Um, Okay, Storyline Fellowship does not have the word church, um, and certainly not a denominational moniker um, in its, you know, sort of the way it's presenting itself to the world. Um, Talk about that just in the culture, the words we use and the way we present ourselves. Yeah, so there's probably two reasons for that. First, uh, here where I, where I pastor, church can be a really intimidating term. So fellowship was the term that they decided when they planted. Storyline's only six years old, so it's still a fairly new church. It is also a Baptist church, but that was something that, uh, again, in a secular context, making a distinction between Baptist and Presbyterian for people in Colorado is less important than making a distinction between somebody who's Christian or somebody who's secular. But maybe the most important part of our name is that term storyline. Uh, And this is also a big part of the book in Deep Discipleship and why I was so attracted to come here to Storyline. We really believe that everybody's living in a story, whether it's the story of progressivism or romanticism or perfectionism. But there's only one true story of the world, and that story is found in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we're not just called to know that story, but we're called to participate in that story. The story of the Bible isn't a story of a, diff- of a different world far off and long ago. It's the story of this world, that God is still redeeming and reconciling all things to himself through Jesus, and that we get to become participants in that story, especially in the context of the local church. So I am talking with J.T. English. Uh, He is a pastor. He's also the author of Deep Discipleship. Um, We are talking about uh, how really the local church as the locus uh, of—bears the locus of responsibility, the primary responsibility for discipling the people of God in the faith. And if you um, are interested in a copy 
I'm really encouraging maybe pastors um, and church leaders to be the ones that we give these books to today. So um, if you uh, if you text the word book to 877-933-2484, I would love for you to not only enjoy this book, but be sure that it is passed along to your pastor and or church leaders. This is That's really who this is written for. Now, JT, when we talk about um, doing that, when I would, let's just imagine, because I go to a, a church that also happens to be Baptist, but doesn't have that word in its name. I go to a church called Grace Community. And, sure. um, uh, and when, uh, uh, so let's just imagine for a moment, I would like to see my church move in this direction. Um, seems a little fishy for, um, you know, a sheep to pass such a book along to a shepherd. Talk about <laughs> right. that. Yeah, I mean, so it's funny, I get this question all the time, and it's funny, as a pastor, I get books all the time from people like, hey, pastor, you need to read this. So I understand that that situation well. I mean, I think the first thing that, that I would want you to do if you're passing along this book to your pastor is to also offer it alongside of encouragement, especially in this season of a pandemic and everybody having to pivot, uh, pivot their ministry model on a dime. Really, pastors are in deep need of encouragement, of just telling them, pastor, I see what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I'm encouraged by what you're doing. As you continue to move forward, I want to be a part of helping however I can. And this is a book that I've found helpful, and this is something that we might want to implement. I don't want to in any way suggest that deep discipleship is the silver bullet for discipleship in the context of the local church. Really what it is is it's a conversation starter. The whole book is structured around questions. How do we ask better questions for discipleship in the context of the local church? So, for example, one of them would be, what if local churches ask the question, what do disciples need? Instead of asking the question, what do disciples want? Too often we find ourselves on whiteboards thinking of our parishioners as consumers or as a as an audience to, to perform for, instead of as sheep that we are supposed to guide and care for and move along towards this journey towards greater growth in Jesus. And so it really is an opportunity for you to say, I would love to have a conversation with you about discipleship. Every chapter at the end has a list of questions to walk through, a to-do list. So it really is a practical book for people to read together. All right. I do have copies uh, to give away. So if you are interested in uh, entering the drawing, uh, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. The book is Deep Discipleship. JT English is the author, and he and I will be right back. There's always a reason to always choose joy. There's something deeper that the world can't destroy. Smile when you think you can't smile. All right, brother in Christ, pastor, author, husband, dad, JT English, author of Deep Discipleship. Uh, yes, our friends at B&H have supplied us some copies to give away. So if you are interested in entering the drawing, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, JT, there is, uh, there's a desire to go deep. Uh, I mean, I think that if you were just to ask the average Christian, you know, you want to go deeper in your discipleship, you want to have a deep right. uh, discipleship. Um, you know, everybody's going to say yes, but talk about the role of desire, uh, like deep desire to actually know God and yeah. to allow my life to be conformed to what God wants. Like that is really essential as a starting point, um, the, the motivating starting point to actually move in the direction of a deeper discipleship. That's exactly right. And that's really where I start the book. The, the whole premise of the book is built upon orienting a philosophy of ministry based upon who God is, and, and that is to desire him. 
And so we, we talk about in the book that, that, that ultimately knowing the triune God is where we're going, and it's also the fuel of how we get there. So this isn't just about how do I get involved in a better Bible study. It really is how do I enjoy fellowshipping with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a deeper way now. The, the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is writing to Israel, and he's 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 warning them about coming exile, but he, he gives them a promise in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will one day cover the earth as water covers the sea. And deep disciples are those people who desire for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover them. And now, because we know that that's going to happen someday, but ultimately disciples are those who are wishing, I want that to start today. I want to know Jesus. And I desire to be with Jesus so much then that I actually want it to also start now. You use the uh, word holistic. Yeah. Let's um let's unpack that. It's uh, notable to me that it sure does look like it shares a root with the word holy and holiness. Yeah, it certainly does. And holistic, ultimately, Jesus Jesus says something similar when he's talking to his disciples about about what it means to be a disciple. He calls us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. But the reality is, is a lot of discipleship programs tend towards either intellectualism or emotionalism or tend towards maybe service and sacrifice and doing. And all of those things are important. We we should be intellectual. We should take care of our emotions. We should serve others with our strength. However, Jesus isn't dichotomizing what it means to be a person. He's not saying you have four parts and figure out how to love God with everything. He's saying you are a whole person and you're supposed to give yourself over to knowing Jesus with every single thing that you have. And so what I tried to do in the book is to show people how different ways, whether that be through knowing God with your mind or through knowing God with your sacrifice and service or through knowing God with your emotions and your embodied nature— that, that there's ways for us to love Jesus as whole people, not just as brains on a stick. Yeah, whole people knowing and in relationship with and loving a holy God. Like that That's is, exactly right. and so um, such a privilege to have experiences with God where, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but they're, they can be fleeting and but having them in my life where I'm just like, I, I saw, I saw something. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, it was, it, I've been there. The well is deep. Um, and we don't, I don't, I don't know about you, but I mean, I, it's not as if, um, I live in the pinnacle of that experience all the time, but I do live out of that experience all the time. I mean, I walk in the world as a person who has been in the presence and that's exactly and right so is that what we're talking about we're not yeah i think so yeah i mean one of the things we're talking about here you use the term well which i think is a is a perfect term god is an inexhaustible well of perfection and beauty and grace and goodness and mercy and and you're right we often don't experience all of that at the same time always over the course of our life there's seasons of dryness there's seasons of doubt and difficulty and perhaps suffering but what we're saying in deep discipleship is is that as we continue to go back to this well you're never going to exhaust it that, that even in the kingdom and in heaven we're always going to be enjoying God more and more and more. And so it's not like we need to think of him as some kind of inexhaustible resource that if I spend too much time with him or I enjoy his presence too much (laughs) or I'm with him too often, that somehow it's going to grow stale because it won't. 
you're never going to learn something about God that isn't lovely. You're never going to be with God or be in his presence and find something unholy, but rather you're only going to be overwhelmed with the inexhaustible riches of his goodness. So uh, it occurs to me that in addition to having a big church, like, you know, God has entrusted you with the shepherding of a lot of people, but he first entrusted you with, you know, uh, the nearest neighbor you'll ever have, and that's Macy. And then, you know, the cultivation of two other hearts, uh, Thomas and Bailey. Talk with people about um, their, their home really being the first place where these things need to be happening. And if we're not in a context where um, where that shepherding is actively taking place, you know, how to be sure we're connected. I mean, we all need to be connected with a local congregation. Um, but for those who also are shepherding a household, this is essential. That's exactly right. And and one thing I want to push back on is, is this book isn't just about how to build better programs. It really goes back to your word, Carmen, desire. And that same desire before it happens in the local church needs to be present in individuals and then in families. I live a regular life. Uh, My family and I, we've had some suffering. You know, it's not like I go home and we do catechism all day long or something like that. My wife a few years ago was diagnosed with with what we thought was a very high-grade form of cancer called a sarcoma, Mm -hmm. and it was the most challenging six months of our life. It ended up being something a little less dangerous but still very painful. And a lot of these principles that we talked about in the book really emerge from that experience because – like I said, my family and I live the same life that every person who's listening right now listens to. Our kids go to school. We care for each other. We have arguments. We, you know, it's, we're just regular people. But, but what I want to be at the very foundation of our family, whether we're having a very normal day, a hard day, a sad day, or a joyful day, is desiring the presence of God. And 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 so, uh, one way we talk about it sometimes in our family is is for like our kids, for example. I want to be putting kindling in their life so that if and when the Holy Spirit strikes a fire and a spark in one of their hearts, all of a sudden their their lives are aflame with a love for Jesus. So right now we're working through something with my little boy named Thomas called the New City Catechism. Mm-hmm. And the first question is, is what is our greatest hope in life and death? And the answer is we are not our own, but belong to God. And so my little five-year-old little boy is just learning that whether it's my life or my death, I belong to God. And that's something that he doesn't understand those words yet. He hasn't experienced that with the same depth that maybe my wife and I have. But as he learns those words and watches mom and dad live things like that out, my hope is that one day the Holy Spirit will spark a fire in his life and there's going to be kindling all over the place, whether it's Bible memory passages or whether it's watching dad and mom try to walk in holiness, that all of a sudden it's not just a little bit of a spark that could go out, but it will be a fire and a flame that that will burn brightly for Jesus. Wow, I just, I love that. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for who you are um, and for what you do. It is Pastor Appreciation Month. We recognize that. We appreciate you um, as a pastor, I also appreciate how you are pastoring other pastors, um, because mm. this is uh, this is an important part of the conversation as well. Um, we'll be lifting up you and your family and your congregation and your ministry. Thank you for joining us today. The book is Deep Discipleship. J.T. English is the author. If you are interested in entering the drawing for one of the copies that I have in studio, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. J.T., thanks so much. Thanks so much, Carmen. Absolutely. We'll be right back.
Let me just remind everybody, it is Pastor Appreciation Month. We have an opportunity at MyFaithRadio.com for you to give your pastor a very public shout out uh, about why you appreciate them, the ways in which they are uh, strengthening you in your walk of faith. Uh, How is your pastor deepening deepening your discipleship? Um, How are they walking their own faith out in a way that honors Jesus and encourages you to go and do likewise? Let me encourage you to log on to MyFaithRadio.com. Click on the Pastor Appreciation Month giveaway. Sign your pastor up to win a special gift. Um, Compliments of Faith Radio, but also it's just a way for everybody to give their pastor a very public, uh, personal shout out online. So there you go. Go to MyFaithRadio.com, Pastor Appreciation Month giveaway. Uh, If you are one of the people at Storyline Fellowship, maybe you want to give a shout out to JT English. There's just all kinds of opportunities for us to say thank you to the people who are shepherding our hearts. So a little shout out here to my pastor, Scott Patty. Why don't you go and give a shout out to your pastor as well and have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.